Would you mind standing with me in honor of God's word? We've got two sections of scripture, and uh, so you might be standing for a while. Here we go. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my father in heaven. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And then over in Matthew 11. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplace places and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither, neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Then Jesus began to denounce the the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Would you pray with me, please? Dear Lord, I need you today, and we need you today. I pray, Father, that I would speak clearly and boldly as I ought to speak for our good and for your glory. Please, God, speak. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The title of the message today is Ministry in the Kingdom, Judgment. The last time I spoke, we did ministry in the kingdom, healing, and Jesus commanded his disciples to go out and to bring the very presence of God, to bring the very signs that God is near, the, the king is near, and they were, they were to freely, you've been given this authority, now freely give and, and bring your freedom and ro- that roar of heaven, set the captives free and, and bring healing. But he also put a message in their mouths. And the message is this. There is a salvation that we need. And there is a coming 
judgment to every human being on this planet. In fact, it's the most important day in your life is the coming judgment. So point one today is passing God's test. Passing God's test. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. It's appointed unto man to die once, and after this comes judgment. Everyone outlives their body. There is no reincarnation. There is no second chance. There is no you come back as something else. There is one life you live, and then there is a day of accountability for that life. The fear of the Lord, the very definition of the fear of the Lord is when you bring that day that is in your future and you bring it into your present right now. Paul, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, we make it our ambition. This is our goal for living, whether we're in the body or out of the body, to be pleasing to him. For each one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for what we've done in our bodies. Therefore, he says, knowing the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is when you live for an audience of one. Where everybody else's opinion, everything else that's going, becomes small in light of the one you're living before. The fear of the Lord is an amazing thing. It says in Isaiah 11 that, that Jesus' delight was in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord frees you from every other fear. But it is around this idea that there's only one to please. It brings that future judgment into the present, and it makes every action, every word, every relationship, it fills it with meaning. We, uh, one of my favorite uh, quotes from history is Socrates. He said, He said, an unexamined life is not worth living. That that our meaning is not only that God is watching, but that we examine, that we take time to examine what we're living for, how we're living, why we are living the way we are living. So this has led to another saying in our house. My wife has a Fitbit. And uh, she has really gotten into tracking her steps. And, and so she wears that everywhere. And any time during any day, how are you doing? And she's got the number there. And she tells me the number. But you, you want to get Alice frustrated. Have her go on a walk or do something that, that would have been a lot of steps. But she forgot to put her Fitbit on. It's bad. It's just like... What is wrong, honey? My Fitbit's not on. So I've got a new saying in our house. An unrecorded step is not worth taking. (laughs) Being prepared for God's test is the most important thing in this life. Listen to Matthew 5, 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. See, for Jesus, it's not just about time. It's about eternity. And all of the things that seem so urgent and so important down here, Jesus said you could do without all of those things. You can actually sacrifice those things. This is the main thing. Don't end up in hell. Do not go to hell in the end of your life. Don't live for present comfort, present healing, present blessing, present, present, present. Always live in view that there's going to be a judgment at the end. Passing God's test. 
God wants you to pass his test. I figured this out early on. In college, actually high school too, teachers would always give a review session before they gave their test. Now in college, the review session oftentimes did not come during class period. So you actually had to go somewhere and it, it took time. You had to make a priority to it, but you had to go and you, it wasn't the professor himself that would make it. It was the TAs, the teaching assistants. And the, the teaching assistants would say, we're going to have a review session. It's going to be so-and-so place and it's going to be about two hours. And here's what I learned about those review sessions. Never miss them. Here's what they do in those. They tell you what's on the test. I learned this early. Professors look good if you pass their tests, if you learn their material. They want you to succeed. The TAs look good if you pass their tests. They don't want it to be a surprise to you. They don't want it to be a mystery to you. They want to tell you beforehand. You just got to get it out of them. They want to tell you the answers. They want to tell you what's on that test so that you are ready. If you do good on the test, they look good. I learned this early on. I, n- I never missed a review session. I ne- I, whatever, if I have to cancel uh, a concert I was going to, or I had to cancel time with my friends or whatever, this was the most important thing because they want me to pass. And in, in, in our situation, it's like God is the, is the professor and his church is the TA. We're the teaching assistants. We are preparing the human race for the test that's coming. The, here's what's on the test. We're helping them to pass God's test. Well, what is it? What is, what is on God's test? Oh, it's interesting. It's so interesting. There's only one question on it. What did you do with Jesus? What did you do with Jesus? Did you embrace him? Did you follow him? Did you become like him? Jesus is the savior. God, in the beginning, was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the light. John said, I'm not the light. I'm only a testifying to the light. The light is the one coming into the world whom God made all the worlds through. That light is, he he walked among us. It is the light, John says, that lights up every single human being. That light of who Jesus is, is visiting every single human being. And it's the one question on God's test. John 3, 19, this is the judgment. That light came into the darkness, but men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. The judgment is not that men did darkness. It's that light came into that darkness. Light invited them out of that darkness. Jesus said the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin, here's what he's convicting them of, that they haven't believed in me. Jesus is the Savior. There's one question on that test, and that's what did you do with Jesus? Jesus is unable to look at us and not see where we're heading. Let Let me read this to you from Luke 19. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. (laughs) So, all of us, we see you here today, and we're just glad you're here. 
But Jesus can't look at you and just see that you're here. He sees your direction. He sees your future. Maybe, maybe this is your last Sunday here. Maybe you're on your way away from God. Maybe, maybe you're on a horrible course. And if there is not a redirection, and Jesus looks at lives, and he, he doesn't just see us now. He sees where we're heading. The Bible says, if hell and death are before the eyes of the Lord, how much more the hearts of people. God sees, God sees, not just where we are, but he sees our future. So we carry, we carry this message as the people of God. We help people reinterpret their lives in light of God's salvation and their coming judgment. I want to read a verse to you from Deuteronomy 8. 15 and 16. Oh, they've even got it. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land, with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you out, he brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you. So, then the, so that in the end, it may go well with you. <laughs> Can you imagine this? The whole time they're in the wilderness, and they're going through all these trials, and they can never get ahead. It's always hand to mouth, hand to mouth, hand to mouth, day and day. Why are we going through this? Why is life so hard? Why is life so difficult? And Moses says, here's why. God wasn't just thinking about today. He was thinking about your end. He wants you to do well in the end. He doesn't want you to just do good today. He wants it to go well for you in the end. Your present trials have to be reinterpreted in the light of God's love and God's eternal eye that sees everything. We, we tend to see our lives in terms of present comfort. And God, if you love me, you'll deliver me right now, and it'll be all better right now, and I'll be comfortable, and I'll be happy, and I'll be prosperous, and, and I won't have any trouble. And God, show me your love by this. And God says, listen, I love you too much. Because I see, I see the end from the beginning, and I want it to go well with you in the end. So God speaks to people. God speaks to the most unlikely people. God gives Pharaoh these two dreams. All Pharaoh knows is something has come from heaven, and he, he, he doesn't know what it means. How would someone in the world know what it means? So what does he do? He looks for somebody that, that is connected to God. And Joseph interprets the dream that he cannot interpret and says, this is what is going on. There is a God who loves us. He's preparing us for the future. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. Here's what you need to do. Here is wisdom. Here's the word of wisdom. This is what you need to do right now. God, God loves people. He is speaking to people. He's, he spoke to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is just this arrogant king doing his own thing, going his own way. It's all about me, 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 me. And, and God gives him a dream. And he looks around to find somebody that can help him because God has rattled his cage. Something is happening in his life and he doesn't understand why it's happening, but he knows there's a connection. There's a connection to something beyond present happiness, present things. There's some, God has set eternity in people's hearts. Even the most carnal person you know, even the most pleasure-seeking, there is eternity in their hearts, and God is reaching out. So what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He looks for somebody that's connected. And Daniel says, I I can't tell you what it means, but there's a God in heaven that I'm connected to. He'll tell you. He's got a word for you. So this is what the church does. 
we are, we are God's voice to this world. We're his TAs. He, he, the Bible says he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to repent. It is his desire. He offered us salvation to this world. He wants everybody to make it. But we're the ones preparing them for the test. Now, I, I will grant in a moment, people don't want to hear there's a test. <laughs> They don't, want, they don't want to be accountable. They don't, want to, they don't want to think about the future. They want to think about right now. They want to have fun. And so we're not always popular. People aren't always excited to talk to us. And sometimes God has us speak even when they don't want to hear. Doesn't go well. Point two, four reasons why people fail God's test. Please, please, from the bottom of my heart, please listen to these four. Do not presume that you're going to pass God's test. There are four reasons why people fail God's test. And even though you've prayed the prayer... And even though you go to church, guys, this is, this is very, very real. There's four ways people fail. God's, actually, there's probably more than that. I'm going to talk about four. Here's the first one. Some fail because they're too concerned about being popular. They don't want to displease people. So Jesus says this. If you love father and mother more than me, if you value their opinion more than my opinion, you're not going to make it. If you love son or daughter more than me and what they think and, and the power they have over you is greater than my opinion, you're not going to make it. God's, God's opinion has to be the most important. It has to be so high above. Jesus, in Luke's gospel, it says, unless you hate your mother and father, you're, 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 not, you're not worthy of me. And that word hate doesn't mean hate. It means in comparison to your love for me. That my, your love for me has to burn so strong that other people's opinions, however much you appreciate them and however sincere they may be, they don't run your life. I run your life. Jesus says, don't fear those who can kill the body. Don't fear those who can persecute you. Don't fear those that can make your life miserable if you don't please them and you don't do it their way and your life's going to be really uncomfortable because they've got so much control. Jesus said, don't worry about them. You concern yourself about the one after this body is dead can destroy it both body and soul in hell. That's how you think. It doesn't matter what people think about you folks. hundred years from now, it's not going to make one bit of difference what anybody thought about you except for God. Second reason people fail, some are too busy with their own life. These are are tough words. These are not verses that are on our refrigerators. Jesus said, whoever tries to save his own life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. We all have to decide who the hero of our life's going to be. Because if if you are the hero of your own life, you are going to end up using God for your own ends. To get what you want to get, you will use God as much as he makes your life better. This this is what's happening where he did all these miracles. And he said, woe to you guys. Woe to you. You came to me, but only for yourself to make your own life better. And you used me. You, You wanted miracles to make your life better. But seeing the very hand of God, seeing the very presence of God, the very reality of God, you didn't turn to me. You didn't repent. 
You just thought that God was your servant. God is a servant. Jesus washes our feet. Jesus is, he's the humble king. But folks, in the end, it has to be about him and his glory and his purpose. Not about us and our life. God God doesn't exist for our end. We exist for his end. Be very, very careful about making your own life an idol and it all be about my happiness and God owes me happiness and I'm entitled to happiness and God has to make me... Watch out. God's got all eternity to make you happy. If you're having to go without something down here, trust me, it's for a good purpose. God who sees everything has withheld something from you. It is for a good purpose. You need to start thanking him now. I'll guarantee you on that day, it says this in Revelation 19, on that day when we see everything in our life, everything that God did, we will say all of your judgments were true and good. God, you are amazing. You did it. You do all things well. We will say that one day. God is asking us to say it today by faith. Even in the midst of we're in this wilderness, there's scorpions around, there's, uh, I don't understand what's happening. God says, trust me, I love you. You're going to make it in the end. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at eternity. You are going to make it. <sighs> Some are going to fail God's test because they're too religiously proud Jesus says this I played the pipe for you God played the pipe or the flute for you this is the wedding flute and you won't dance I played the dirge for you I, I sang the dirge and you won't mourn you, you rejected me in the form of John the Baptist. You rejected me in the form of my own son. Why? Because you were a, a religious expert and God wouldn't do it that way. God would, never, God would never do it that way. John the Baptist was too rugged and too out of the box and uh, he probably had bad breath and it's like, uh, no, no, that can't be God. God would... God would never look like that. And then Jesus comes and he's eating and drinking and he's with the sinners and, and, and uh, God, wouldn't, God, God isn't like that. God would never do that. So here's what we have today. Well, I don't think God would ever threaten somebody with hell. I don't, I don't believe in hellfire preaching, and I just, I just don't think God's like that, and I don't think he would do that. Well, I got some news for you, folks. We just read scriptures. Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. I, I love the scriptures on heaven. I, I, Jesus said, there are many rooms in my father's house. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. I'm not, I, I'm not about telling you stuff you want to hear. There is a heaven to gain. There is a heaven after this thing. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I want you there. I'm making a way for you there. I want you to know heaven. And there's not a person in the United States, well, probably some, that doesn't want there to be a heaven, that doesn't want there to be a place after But you don't get to believe in heaven if you don't believe in hell. Because all of the authority about there being a heaven comes from Jesus. And you can't pick and choose. You can't say, well, I'll take the heaven, but I reject the hell. There is a hell to be avoided. Be very, very careful about being a religious expert that tells God how he is and how he needs to be. It's just very, very human for us to try to create God the way we'd like him to be instead of letting him come as he is. And what happens is 
when you, when you do that, you start having this idol and you get farther and farther from the actual presence of God, the actual authentic God that actually works and meets us and heals us and delivers us. And you end up with this God of your own making and he's powerless. And he just exists in your own theology. Every one of us needs to say, God, I, I don't understand who you are. But I, I take you as this. I take you as this. The verse we end, ended with here, which we will talk about in a moment, come to me who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble of heart and my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the, those are the verses we put on our refrigerator. Why? They're true. They're amazing. They're comforting. The rest of Matthew 11, I don't see that on anybody's refrigerator. (laughs) But it's just as much the Word of God. And we need to let those verses and the fear of the Lord wash over our heart for our own good. The only reason he says, behold, both the kindness and severity of God is because he never, ever wants one of his children to experience his severity but just his kindness. That's his heart. Some are too religiously proud. Listen to this, Luke 7.30. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. They missed God's purpose, God speaking to them because of the packaging. God is speaking to you. He's speaking to you in your life. Well, he couldn't be speaking through that person. That person's flawed. No, that's, that's how God speaks. Well, he couldn't be speaking through the church because the church has hypocrites in it. No, this is, the, this is how God speaks to people. Don't, don't be critical. Jesus is building his church. He is speaking today. Don't be put off because there's flesh and blood. Don't be put off because it's not perfect or it's not the way you want it or it's not the way you like it or the worship isn't perfect or the church setting isn't. There's a thousand reasons why people can miss God's voice to them. Did you see this? Did you see what God's gracious purpose was for for the Pharisees and the experts? He had a good plan for them. He invited them to that good plan. But they couldn't humble themselves before the packaging. It's just, you just want to be sure that you don't become the expert and somehow Jesus and what Jesus said is somehow minimalized before your brilliance. I, I don't know how you feel about it. Jesus died and rose from the dead. I want him to be the expert and I'll be the student. Is that okay? I I want him to be the expert. I don't want to be the expert. Jesus, you be the expert, and and I'll humble myself before you. And then some, finally, some will fail God's test because they are too smart. Jesus says, you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to children. It's a huge, huge one for our culture and for our city. Jesus said, unless you become like a child, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. This was my biggest thing. When I first heard the gospel, and it was plainly laid out before me, I'm like, no way. There's all these religions. There can't be one way that's the right way. How could it be fair that people born all over the place and all different times, and and now there happens to be one that is right, making everything else wrong? How could there be so many? I mean, it just, in, in our minds, it simply doesn't make sense. How could that possibly be fair? And how could that possibly be the truth? Frankly, the way I came to Christ had nothing to do with my intellect. I I was going through struggles and brokenness, and God used that to bring me to a place where I was open to a different solution than the one I had myself, because I knew the one I had myself wasn't working. 
Now, since I've come to Christ, I've learned a few things. Like, for instance, there aren't many religions. There's only two. There's two religions in the world. One says the answer to man's sin lies with man. And if man is religious enough or gets enough karma or gives enough money or kisses enough statues or knocks on enough doors, that man can bridge that gap by being good enough. And the other religion, which is Christianity, says there's nothing man can do to make himself right with God. That God actually had to come down and die on a cross to take the wages of sin that, that, that we deserved. And God has made one way, and it turns out it's not a religion, it's a relationship. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Don't be so smart that you miss Jesus. I, I realize that Jesus has been misrepresented. Jesus has, Christians have, have done weird things. They've done crazy things. They've done ugly things. Don't, don't miss Jesus because of Christians. Don't miss Jesus because of the Crusades. The Crusades were completely unbiblical. There's people that were not following. They, 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 did, they were doing their best. They just didn't know much. Okay, point three, last point. The judgment for believers. So come to me, you who are weary, late, weary and heavy laden, weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Okay, so that's, that's, the, first, that's the first test. You come to Jesus. You lay down your tiredness and you lay down the burden of religion because religion is a burden. Religion comes on you and you have to be good enough and lay it down. Come to Jesus. <laughs> Woo! Come to Jesus. He is the Savior. And then it says this. Once you've come to Jesus, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm humble and gentle of heart. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 4, 5. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns, for he will bring our darkest secrets to light and reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. <laughs> the believer's judgment is amazing. Believer's judgment has nothing to do with sin. Your sin was already judged. It was judged 2,000 years ago. The idea that there's going to be a video of your sins when you get to heaven, uh-uh. No, he's forgotten those. They're washed away by the blood of Jesus. There is no judgment for sin on believers. He who hears my message and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come into judgment. There is no judgment for sin on a believer. A believer's judgment is only about reward. It's the day that each one of us will receive God's praise. He is searching even the deepest parts of our motives. Even when our actions weren't, were, might, have, might have been a mess before people, if our motives were to please him, there will be a reward for that. Even when it wasn't carried out right, even though it didn't work before people, we, he sees everything. And his heart is ravished when we live for him and when we're trying to please him, however imperfect it is. And in that day, each one of us will have our moment when God praises us. So this is a day to be anticipated, to be excited about. The more you give up for Jesus, the more you obey Jesus, the more you sacrifice for Jesus, the more excited you get about that day. Paul says, I, everything I've done, I've, I've set against that day. He is faithful. So how do you get, how do you get God's praise? What is he looking for? Well, here it is. Every work that is done out of relationship with him, you will be praised for. It turns out God's not interested in our work. He's interested in us. And when you and I walk with him, we don't actually work for him. We work 
with him. What his great desire is in creating us was our fellowship. So the work, the work that will be praised will be the work out of relationship, inspired by him, led by him, and that where, where we walked with him. That's why it's an easy yoke and a light burden because him and us do it together. We do the natural part and he does the supernatural part. So I, I want to close by telling you a story of what happened to me. Uh, it was actually in this church building. It was at the time Lake City Church. It was the early 90s, or I'm sorry, late 80s. I was the college and career pastor here. I had just become the college. I was the youth pastor to start, and then I was made the college and career pastor, and I was so excited. Here's why I was so excited. I got saved in the college and career group here in the early 80s. Now I've got a chance to lead the very group that I had that had been such a big influence. I was a college student on campus as a freshman in the dorms, and I got saved. And we had this bus that ran, ran on Sundays twice for the morning and for the evening service, and it ran on Thursday night because we had Power and Light was the name of our group here. And that bus went back and forth, and I was one of the bus drivers on that bus, and it was, it was so wrong that they let me be a bus driver. Seriously, I had just gotten saved. I could barely drive a car, and they gave, that was back when you didn't have to have any special license, any special. They're like, we need bus driver, and I sign up, and, and I'm just, I, I get there the first day, and it's just me with the keys to this bus. I'm like, are they insane? Seriously, I don't even know Madison. I'm driving this bus around Madison through the, and you're picking people up, so you're in and out of traffic. You want to believe in a God, frankly, the fact that there was no accidents and that everybody got picked up while I was driving, that's enough right there. (laughs) Miraculous. Anyway, I become the college and career pastor, and I'm just on fire. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring the bus back. So I go to the elders, and I, uh, Pastor Heckman has me come in and make my case, and the elders approve the money that it's going to take. And by that time, you actually had to have a licensed bus driver. So then I went out and found a guy that was licensed and willing, and he'd do it for free. And we got this bus set up, and now all I need is students. So I get this idea about this dorm survival kit. And we're going to go down. There's 10,000 new students, and most of them live in the dorms. And so we make this dorm survival kit that was so awesome. It had every technological thing and food, and it was massive. And we put it right out in Gordon Commons, with the cafeteria, so that everybody could see it. And, and we were going to have a drawing for this. But you had to fill out this little survey for the drawing. Because our first series was going to be on fear. And... So it was questions about fear and da-da-da-da-da. And of course, the last question was, would you be open to coming to a meeting to get God's perspective, the Bible's perspective on fear and how we can live free from fear? And so we get all of these cards together. 200 students have said they would be open to coming to a meeting. So we, we get a little team together. We call all 200, and we get... 50 commitments to come that Thursday night to the first meeting. 50. Our group is 50. We're going to double the group. Is there even going to be room on the bus on Sunday? Because the meeting was down on campus, but my goal was to get them involved in the church, and that was what the bus was for. So anyway, so we get there Thursday night down at Union South, and of the 50 that said they would for sure be there, Ten were there. Okay. It's a hit. It's a definite hit. But ten is ten. And so I made sure that all ten of them had the information on the bus. Here's where the bus is going to pick up. Here's the stops. Here's how easy it's going to be. And we're going we're to start with ten. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. We're going to start with ten. So Sunday comes. And all of the work and all of the expense that I have put in to getting this bus... The bus picked up one student. Here's the bad part. 
he already went to our group and didn't really need a ride. (laughs) So that's Sunday. Now it's Monday. I am going down to Olivet Nazarene in Kankakee, Chicago, and to finish my master's. And I'm going down there, and I I am, on the way down there, I'm like, I'm not even talking to God. I'm I'm so upset. (laughs) I'm just, I'm just so, I'm so upset with him. I'm exhausted from this week. And we, we go through that first night of teaching and all of the other pastors that are there are going out to eat. And I said, no, I'm, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay in my room. I, I need to have it out with God. And so I get alone with God. I will never forget this experience. I am, I'm alone with God. And I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to be polite, but it's really hard. And here's in essence what I said to him. I have worked my butt off for you. I, everything I did was for you. That bus was for you. The, 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 the dorm survival kit. I made all those calls. I've, I've, I've done everything. And you couldn't get one student to ride on my bus. Mm. And a thought came so clearly back to me immediately. The response was so immediate. It was startling. Here's here's what it was. In doing many things, you have neglected the one thing that's necessary. Now, this is before I had the one thing. This is my first encounter with the one thing message. And I'm like... That's a verse. That's actually a verse. And I'm, I'm going through, I find it. It's Luke 10, 42, where Jesus says to Martha, one thing is necessary. And here's, here's the weight of what hits me. It's the word necessary. You know what necessary means? It means non-optional. It means if you don't do this one thing, it doesn't matter how much else you do, it will come to nothing. There is one thing that's necessary. And the funny thing is, you do that one thing and everything else will take care of itself. But if you neglect this one thing, there are no other rules. There's not like another way. If you neglect the one thing, well, this will work too. No, there's one thing that's necessary. But God wasn't done speaking. Then he said this. He said, I am not calling you to do anything for me. Everything I'm calling you to do, I'm calling you to do with me. Guys, God could save the whole world, feed all the poor, heal all the sick in one second apart from in us doing anything. Do we realize that? Do we realize that he doesn't, quote, need us to do stuff? He can do stuff apart from us. What he gets out of this is not our production, but our fellowship with him. So if we could have the worship team come back up and if we could just for a moment have every head bowed and eye closed. I've got, I've got two calls today. <clears throat> the first one is this. You are here in this building, present in this building. And as I've been speaking, you are convinced that Jesus is probably weeping over you right now because of the direction you're heading. Even though you're at church today. Even though maybe, maybe you prayed a prayer. But you know, you and God know you're in danger. And today is his absolute mercy toward you. There's time. <laughs> If you can just recognize that God would use a service like this to speak to you and that this is, 
There is a real judgment coming, and God wants you to make it. God wants you, and you just need to repent today. You need to repent, turn around, and come Come to Jesus, maybe for the first time, or maybe come back to Jesus because you've just been going in the wrong direction. With every head bowed and eye closed, this is between you and God. But I like to help people pray this because people help me pray this. If that is you, would you raise your hand real high right now long enough for me to see it all over this place? I see that hand. I see that hand. God bless you. You could put those down. Anybody else by upraised hand? I see that hand. God bless you. Anybody else? I'd like everybody that raised their hand to just put your hand on your heart right now. Lord, you said there's more joy in heaven when one sinner repents than 99 staying righteous. You, you, when we repent, it changes everything. You go from weeping to rejoicing in a moment. You, you run to us. You, you put your arms around us. You say, welcome home. And it's funny, you don't even bring up the prodigal sins to him. You just said, welcome home, because that's your heart for us. Jesus, just pray something like this if you raised your hand. Lord, please, please come into my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. I don't, I don't want to go the wrong way anymore but I need you to walk with me. Take away the weariness of sin and the burden of religion and help me to walk in a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we stand to our feet? Here's how we're going to end today, guys. We're not going to have ministry teams. We're going to actually bring the lights low and we're going to turn this whole sanctuary into a, into an altar. And I'm going to ask that fellowship, you chatting with each other, that that would happen out in the foyer. And I know some of you have got to go right away. You're, you've got something scheduled and I, you've got total grace. There's no guilt. And certainly we need you to pick up your kids. Please pick up your kids. We love your kids, but we can't have them with us all day. All right. Um, I want I want us to just take some time to wait on God, to let God burn out of us all of the dorm survival kits and all of the ideas, the stuff we're going to do for him and and. And, and if he needs to burn out of us the fear of man, the, the desire for our own life to be our own God, to be our own, to do, whatever it is, I'm just going to invite you to come, kneel at the altar, wait on God, let God's Holy Spirit minister to you. If you, if you want to just stay where you are and, and make your own altar there, if you want to just be in worship and just say, God, I choose the one thing. Jesus said to Martha, Mary has chosen the good part. And if you, if you just need to come back to the one thing that's necessary, I'm going to encourage you to do it. God bless you.